episode four of Unfiltered Friends. And today we have on our first fella of the podcast, and I couldn't think of a better man to bring on than Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. He's really well known on TikTok for helping people navigate their relationships, whether it's focusing on the green flags, what are the good things, identifying what narcissism looks like, how to navigate that, gaslighting, all the things that we go through, unfortunately, through the process of dating, and he does a really good job of explaining it. Um, You'll see that I ask a lot of questions for myself uh, because I've been through quite a bit, so he was massively helpful to me, and I know he's going to be really helpful to you. If you enjoy the conversation and you want more stuff from Matt, make sure you go follow him on TikTok, Matt Pfeiffer coaching and as always this is a independently funded podcast huge shout out to my patreon supporters so if you'd like to support this podcast and what we do here make sure you go to patreon.com slash unfiltered friends and here's matt welcome to the unfiltered friends podcast before we introduce you to our next friend I want you to take a moment to think about everything that led you to where you are right now. Do you see how strong you are? Do you see how great your story is? I hope you do. And I hope you learn great lessons and get inspired by our next friend's story on the Unfiltered Friends podcast. Grab a picture of us and uh, I'll give it to you. Hello, unfiltered friends. Welcome to episode four. We made it to four. It's pretty amazing. And today I am very excited to have someone on who uh, tackles things with his social media and his business that I have a lot of experience with, unfortunately, and a lot of other people have experience with, which is toxic relationships and how to navigate them. If at any point you really enjoy this conversation, make sure you go over to his TikTok channel, give him a follow. He's got big plans for YouTube, so stay tuned for that. If you enjoy what you listen, make sure you give Unfiltered Friends a rating on whatever podcast platform that you use. Well, let's bring him on. Hello, welcome, Matt. Welcome. You, okay, do you want other, what do you want other people to call you? Matt or Matt? I like going by Matt. I like going by Matthew. Okay, uh, but but my but um, professionally, people typically call me Matt because uh, my name is Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. So for branding, but people who know me personally typically call me Matthew. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, uh, tell everybody, like what it is that you do like do you like what the title of is what you do and also like your credentials to talk about these things so i'm a a mental health therapist so uh, i have a master's in clinical mental health counseling from saint bonaventure university Uh, and uh, i help people who are in toxic unhealthy relationships uh, in particular narcissistic relationships but they that can be that's a lot. That's a, a, a wide range of relationships that we're talking about. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner, even though that is probably the most common that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are struggling with co-parenting, and um, but a lot of what I do is that once people have experienced this and they, because uh, they're when you're in it, it is very very confusing. You you're wondering, is am I the problem? Are they the problem? Uh, because it it's uh, it's kind of a slow process that 
all of a sudden you wake up and you're just like, man, what the hell is going on here? Right. All, all I know is that there's something off and you don't, and you don't know terms like gaslighting, you don't know manipulation. So I teach people about put the pieces back together of what happened in that unhealthy relationship, uh, things that are mentally and emotionally abusive. And then what I do is I help people understand how to maneuver through life in general to make sure that they don't have to experience those things again. Uh, so when people enter back into the dating scene, or even if they're already dating someone and they start to notice that there are certain behaviors that they, that they are exhibiting that reminds them that, uh, that they're kind of bringing in the baggage that they're bringing into new relationships or new work, new workplace dynamics. Uh, I help them see that and help them kind of unwind that, unpack that and, um, live a better, healthier life. Now, you don't have to answer this, but yep. you obviously there's a reason anybody gravitates towards any sort of subject matter. So right. I'm curious what it is that you experienced personally to cause you to gravitate towards this sub type of subject matter, or was there? So I, yeah, I, I have experienced this on multiple, multiple levels, which is the reason why I talk about it on multiple levels. Um, and... So some, so I've had some healthy relationships too, but there were a couple of relationships in particular that really, we allowed to cuss here on here. Go know? for it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that really kicked the shit out of me. Yep. And <laughs> the, and uh, thankfully, right. Um, because I was, because of my background and because of what, what I went to school for, I had access to some really amazing, amazing therapists and professors and one in particular uh, Dr. Mary Adexson, for those of you who, who are familiar with um, St. Bonaventure professors, really laid into me. So I, um, we became very, very close and uh, she's now retired, has some amazing books out and uh, I uh, opened up to her and uh, she eloquent, eloquently and very directly, I call her Mother Mary now, <laughs> um, pointed out to me, some internal flaws that I had and the reasons why I was recycling these type of relationships, not just romantically, but across the board. Because at that point, I had experienced a narcissistic supervisor. I had experienced narcissism. Uh, I talk a lot about religious trauma. I experienced it in the church. And it was, it was this theme that I kept on running into. And I knew that... Um, I knew that I was trying my best. You know, you, you hear all the stories about like the good guy and... and uh, and, but I didn't understand that I wasn't being truly authentic. I wasn't setting good, healthy boundaries. Uh, I was, there was a lot of things that I was uh, allowing based on my own personal behavior. Uh, I was looking for, uh, looking for acceptance and uh, validation from other people. And so those were all things that she had a really stern talking with me about. And I was like, Ooh, this is, this is uncomfortable and uh, started doing the work over the last several, several years. Uh, but then also I experienced this uh, clinically as well. Uh, so I had the opportunity to meet with, um, with a lot of people who were in toxic relationships. And uh, so I experienced it both clinically and professionally and eventually went out on my own and brought it to life. Mm -hmm. it, it, I always feel like, because the way you're describing uh, Mother Mary is what you call her. Yep. The way you're describing her, it's it's very similar to the type of advice that I give, which is very direct. Mm -hmm. uh, 
a, not a whole lot of sugar coating. I, I, I never, I always want to use tact when I yep. am giving my perspective on something, right. but I also don't want to dance around it so that they don't fully grasp what it is that I'm trying to say to yep. them. In, in your experience, um, how do you navigate the nuance of giving someone solid, logical advice when they are obviously having an emotional reaction? Because that's two different languages, so it's hard for them to intersect. Well, when I'm meeting with them, by the time they've gotten to me, so there's, there's certain people I won't meet with if I feel like someone's not ready. So this is where the clinical experience comes, comes around is that you have to make sure that they've gone through their stages of change, that they're actually in an action state where they've kind of realized that, you know what, there's, I need to hear some truth, right? That I, that I, I have no idea what's going on and I need to hear some truth. I need, and so they're kind of expecting um, some, some truth, some heart. And, and now we're not trying to hurt people. You know, I'm never trying to intentionally hurt people's feelings, but I'll even tell people like, you know, do you want, I'll even ask people, do you want to hear something that might be difficult for you to hear? right? That might be hard to hear. Do you, um, and, and I'll ask these things, especially early on. And a lot of the people that I meet with, they, they know how I am because most people, uh, have booked with me because of they've been in my lives, they've seen my videos, but in, in my lives in particular, uh, cause I don't do it as much in videos because there needs to be so much context to a lot of the things I talk about, but in my lives, I get in pretty deep. And so people know, and most people, uh, when you're telling them the truth, but in a in a very good, honest, loving way, um, they know that 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 it's coming from uh, from a very caring place. So, for example, a lot of things. There's a lot of things I might talk about that, if it's not presented the right way, some people could interpret it as victim blaming. And so I'll 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 kind of preface that, like you know, hey, before we kind of go down that road of victim blaming, you know, I want you to listen all the way through. Right. And let and let's let's be more open minded about what I'm talking about and, you know, kind of wait to the end type, type of thing. And so um, we make sure that one of the things that we do is we make sure that people are in a safe place. People are in an action state. People are ready, ready for steps. But also I, I bring a lot of context to it in terms of education, in terms of research. So it's not just me spitting off at the mouth from my experience and saying that and and validating the trauma by saying that, um, you know, all women are trash, all men are trash, but validating what they know it, through research. Hey, this is where you can find this information. This is where you can find this information. This isn't just me making things up. This, These are things that I've done myself. Here's all the resources. And uh, when, when um, it's presented that way, uh, even if it's difficult to hear, people are more accepting. And it's a lot of times, even if they're not ready to hear it at the moment, a lot of times they'll circle back a couple months later, like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to do this. I think some people, and I'm curious if you agree with this. I think some people just need to go through it to understand it. They do. Yeah, yeah. I think they, that they experience is the greatest teacher, mm-hmm. and I can attest to that personally. Like a yeah. lot of the. A lot of the reasons that I'm able to guide people the way that I am is because I have already made those mistakes, mm-hmm. learned from them, and and but you know I'll get questions like why am I taking and you probably get this too like well I, I don't know what, what's your is your relationship status public? Yeah, I'm single. Okay, do you yeah. get that question like why am I taking 
dating advice from someone who's not in a relationship? I don't get it as much anymore because, um, because people who, people who follow me know that I've been through some shit. And so a lot of people are there for a healing journey. Uh, and one of the things that I tell people is that, you know, the goal is to become a better version of yourself, right. And to be able to recognize good, healthy people. Um, and you can begin to build from there. Right. So I don't, I don't ever pretend like I have all of the answers. And one of the things that I do that's, that might be very different from some people is I provide people other resources too. Mm. Right? I don't, I don't make it seem like I'm the end all be all. If you need more resources outside of me, I tell them, you know, Hey, the, and, and I have no problem referring to other people if they feel like they need, um, I, it's like, for example, I don't do couples therapy. Um, you know, if people, people ask me that question all the time and I tell them, you know, that's, I, I send them different resources. Um, but I don't get it as much anymore. Um, but wait, hold on. Why, why not? Why don't you do couples therapy? Mainly because most people who come to see me, people who follow my content are already there because of a toxic probably abusive relationship. And so we have two different dynamics here. We have the abuser that might want to book because they want to manipulate the person who's codependent, Mm. or we have the person who's codependent who wants to fix someone who is refusing to be fixed. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. This happened to me a couple of times Okay, where someone will book a session with me and it will be the, the codependent in the relationship. And they will know that I don't do couple sessions and they will. And then all of a sudden, um, their partner will pop in and, and it's like, I don't want to be here. I told you I'm not, you know, I'm not the problem. I'm like, I, you listen, guys, I don't do couples therapy. You guys go do that on your own, you know, whatever. But the type of people I work with who are in unhealthy relationships, um, it's just not, not really what I do. Yeah. I, I had, um, a relationship and I'm curious, I'm curious to get your, your, you, what you think this is. So I was in a relationship with somebody and it was really toxic. I, I found out eventually that the reason that I was around was just because she wanted to make a child and I seemed yep. like a good option. Mm-hmm. Um, like I found that out the day she walked into the living room and said, I got my period. And I was like, yep. okay, cool. And she's like, no, I'm really upset. I thought I was pregnant. Yeah. And she had not had one conversation with me where that was even a thought in her brain. Yeah. And that was like, okay, like, I'm not sure. Like, what is that? What, like, is that just, is that a manipulative thing? Like, well, I don't know. What- oh, hundred percent. That's definitely manipulative. And that, that could have happened for a handful of reasons. Either um, she was trying to lock you down. It could have been because she's looking for external validation. It could have been because she, there was external pressures from other family members for her mm. to start having kids. Um, and these type of things happen all the time. So even though I talk a lot about narcissism, that happens too, right? Where neither, you know, I'm not sure what her background is, but not all toxic relationships are because one person is abusive or narcissistic. It could be because, uh, you basically had a job to do, right? Well, what would have happened? Let's, uh, this is something I do another, going back to the whole action stage. This is another thing that I do that helps people accept it. Let's roll the tape forward. What would have happened had she actually been pregnant? Had Ooh. she actually, right. <laughs> because quite often we already know what type of relationship we're actually in. And we would have been stuck in that situation. And in her mind, right, the job is over. Yeah. Right. So what else, what else is there to build? Right. And so there's a potential where she may have lost 
respect may have lost um, like the desire to even work anything out with you because the reason why you're there is now complete. Right. Right. And so, um, so sounds like you may have dodged a huge bullet there. Well, I, I, what ended up happening with her, man, I'll just tell a story. I feel, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. We were, she took me to Florida to visit her family for my birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, which, (laughs) thank you. Happy birthday. Uh I don't like Florida. Um, and we had been talking about breaking up and, but so we were there and it was her, her mom, her sister and her brother-in-law and their two kids. And the mom and the sister walk in and they're all very New York Italian, very boisterous, very in your face. And, um, they walk in. I was like, oh, where'd you guys go? They're like, oh, we went ring shopping. And I was like, oh, you're going to upgrade your rock because her sister has money. And they're like, oh no, we're going for you. And I was like, for yeah, what? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I would have liked to have been included in that conversation, meaning that I was even thinking about, we literally, she said we should break up that morning. Yeah. And then (laughs) they're like, well, come with us tomorrow. And I was on their territory. So I was Mm -hmm. just like, I'm trying to go along with this just so to to keep peace, I guess. And we went to Jared. We went to Jewelry Exchange. I learned about Cut mm-hmm. Clarity and Carrot. Um, yep. She found a setting that she loved, and she has it on her finger, and she's crying. Yep. And I'm just sitting there so confused as to why she's so emotionally invested in something that's 100% not going to happen. Right. And then when we went home... She switched cars and went with her mom and I went with her sister uh-huh. and her sister was like, all of a sudden it was like, so she really liked that setting. I know you guys aren't there yet, but I can go get it for you. And I'm just in full panic mode. It's almost like buying a car and the manager comes out to try to pressure you into buying the car. I was just like, and then that was around the time where single ladies was popular mm-hmm. and the two little girls are dancing yeah. and having a good time. And her sister's looking at me doing the single ladies mm-hmm. thing and staring at me, even though we are literally arguing every single day. Yep. And, and uh, what is that? And that's what I mean. That a lot of times people have this agenda, right? That they, you know, it doesn't matter. It's it's almost like they have this image in their mind of like they really want to be married. Mm-hmm. They don't want the responsibility. They don't feel like they they don't feel like they burden anything. They think that they are already a gift to this situation, right? And and they're trying. And it sounds like, especially because the family was involved. Sounds like she was trying to please her mom, trying to please her sister was probably, mm. probably had a lot of additional pressure from them. I don't know if her sister was married or if she was like kind of the older one. Yeah. And, and so now that everyone else is getting married, you better get married. I actually had a similar experience where um, a, a girl I was dating her, all of her cousins were getting married. She was a single, she was a, um, an only child. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone was having kids and her mom was putting a lot of pressure on her. Well, after just a handful of months, like, similar story as yours also in Florida, right? <laughs> Get uh, rid we, of Florida. We, have, <laughs> we went on, we went on a vacation to, to Florida and her mom came with us huh. to Florida and similar situation. Like every time we went on a date, her mom was coming with us. Her mom, like it was what <laughs> way. Yeah. It was very, very weird. Right. And then, so um, the, so when I kind of, talked to her about it. Right. And her mom was like, well, 
once you get married, I won't, I won't do this, do, do these type of things anymore. I won't pressure her to do these things. I won't tag along on your vacations anymore. But I knew that not to be true because I knew that was a large part of the reason why her and her ex broke up. And so you see these type of dynamics. But the problem is, is that in situations like that, in both your situation and my situation, neither one of them, I have a feeling that she was not willing to look at the fact that there was too much enmeshment, too many people involved, too many mm. cookie, too many hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. Right. Because even if you guys did get married, right. It's those, those are decisions that two of you guys need to make, not right. A mom and her sister. And right. Yeah. And it was uh, the way that it ended was it was Valentine's day. I got her a really nice dress. I got her tickets to a Cirque du Soleil show, a Cavalia, yeah. which has horses because she likes horses. And we took a picture, just me, uh, yeah. just her, and it took a picture of me and her together. She had never posted a photo of me with her, but mm-hmm. she had essentially pressured me into posting what looked like an album of mm-hmm. engagement looking photos. And what I asked for for Valentine's Day, this was my one request that she post a photo of her and me together. Yeah. And she said she couldn't figure it out, but somehow the picture of just her and the dress ended up on her social media. Wow. And that was it for me. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is, but I know right. it's not good. It's like she didn't value you, but she valued being married. Well, I think she I, being, I think she wanted mm-hmm. I think she wanted to possess. Yeah. Because she wanted everyone else to see that mm-hmm. I was hers, but she didn't want to show me off, yep. which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And we went to couples therapy, but yep. we didn't go to an unbiased therapist. We went yep. to her therapist. Mm-hmm. And I essentially just got beat up every single session. Yep. It was like, there was no accountability on her she wanted end. control. Yes. She wanted all control. Yes. So, um, th- I mean, that's, that's something that comes up a lot um, when we're talking to people about struggles in their relationship is accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is accountability and where do you see a lot of the main issues with accountability within relationships from your experiences? Accountability is very important and that come because accountability comes with a level of self-awareness. People who have accountability um, are able to acknowledge areas that they're weak in. Hmm. And we have to, we have to understand that People, every single person has their weak points. And for people not to be able to acknowledge that, you are really setting yourself up for failure, right? Regardless if your your weak points are um, are organization or maybe you're not great with money and things like that, because your partner and or other people should be able to be supportive in those uh, in those areas without weaponizing them. And so accountability and and um Accountability and self-awareness really, really go hand in hand. And, and self-awareness also goes hand in hand with vulnerability. Well, in a healthy relationship, vulnerab- vulnerability is a requirement. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be able to be a, you have to be able to allow for yourself to just be you, to let your guard down with your with your partner, to trust them, uh, to have enough a level of respect and a level of uh, trust and communication. And if you're not able to do that, you have to ask yourselves why you have to ask yourself why and it typically comes from two different reasons. Either there's deep rooted insecurity that you're not addressing, or you, you don't trust them or kind of combination of both. Um, but a lot of that time, right. It comes from deep rooted 
insecurities, past trauma, that sort of thing, things that are that you're able to manage. But the problem is, is that if you don't manage them, you're going to project that onto the other person and it's going to come become some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you think that that person is going to leave uh, and what happens is that if you like, let's, so you have trust issues and you have deep rooted insecurities, you begin to try to control, mm. you begin to try to cling, or you begin to try to avoid vulnerability altogether. So you have more of an avoidant attachment style. And so you don't want to get too close. You don't allow for vulnerability. Well, that person doesn't feel like they actually get to know you or kind of a combination of both. Both people aren't taking responsibility for their issues. And so now you have an avoidant, uh, an anxious avoidant trap where one person is constantly trying to cling because they don't want to deal with their own deep rooted issues of rejection and abandonment or an avoidant where they don't want to deal with their deep-rooted issues of trust issues and allowing for them to be vulnerable. So you're when you talk about anxious avoidant and stuff like that, you're talking about attachment styles, correct? Attachment styles, yeah. So well, how does someone understand what their attachment style is? How do they like how do they know if that's because when you're in it, it's kind of hard to see it. Um mm-hmm. how do how would you recommend people going about understanding what their attachment style is and how it's affecting their relationships? You have to, you have to study it you have to, you know, this is a lifelong journey of self-discovery that we're on. And a lot of people going back to self-awareness, people just don't know about and don't know enough about themselves. And so we begin to kind of just study like what, um, what is it that, uh, you know, what struggles do I have in relationships? Do I, do I struggle? Do I, do I not want to connect with someone? right? Do I struggle with, with being vulnerable with people? You can kind of, and one of the things about attachment styles that people don't talk about enough is that it affects all of your relationships, not just your romantic ones. So you may struggle with connecting with your kids. And so you may have more of an avoidant attachment style. You don't really, uh, you love them, right? It's not that you're a bad parent or anything like that, but there, but you're, you start to notice that your relationships lack depth. A great book that I would highly recommend is, um, Attached by Amir Levine. Um, mm. And so that's that's a, a great book. And what happens is that when you start to discover and when you start to um, become more self-aware of your attachment style, you start to understand a lot more of the type of people that you've been attracting. So I've for a long time, I struggled with more of an avoidant attachment style. Well, I can't complain if I continue that attachment style. I can't complain at the fact that I continuously attract people who several years ago, I would say, I only attract people who are needy and clingy. Well, no shit, right? So hold on, before we continue, (laughs) break down why that is. Why is it that your avoidant attachment style and what exactly that is would attract people who are clingy? People who struggle with an avoidant attachment style don't like being vulnerable because they've been hurt in the past. So they really keep to themselves. They don't allow for openness. um, And they can come across as very um, distant and it can come across as very mysterious. And so someone who is, who has an anxious attachment style, they don't like feeling rejected. Mm-hmm. So they, so there's a, a high in the beginning, there's a high level of attraction there, right? Where one person is, is constantly fixing and doing constantly clinging. The other person is, um, creating distance and a little bit of mystery. And, and in the beginning, it seems like it's, it's nice right? Until, right? An avoidant who may 
who like I was in the, in, so not only did, was I avoidant, but I found out that ADHD has an impact on this as well. Mm. Um, that you're slow to text, slow to return phone calls because that person starts to, uh, the anxious starts to develop more feelings, but because uh, they have deep rooted fears of, of abandonment and, and rejection, they cling even more. And there's nothing that the avoidant can do or anybody for that matter to soothe those trust issues that they have. So in their mind, right, you, I'm sure you may, you've probably been here before, right? Where you don't respond to a text within five minutes, three minutes, 30 minutes, right? And then all of a sudden, where are you at? What the hell are you doing? You must be out there screwing somebody else, right? And so guess what? The person who is an avoidant sees this and they're like, oh, here we go again, right? So they want even more distance. And with that, you creating that distance and you not communicating that to your partner, Right now, the the anxious person wants to cling even tighter because they start to feel that that rejection and that that abandonment happening. Right, so you have one, so you have both people that are kind of fulfilling the self fulfilling prophecy, and the lack of awareness, right, creates this entire dynamic, and you see this all over the place. And then you have people that um, because they're not, they don't, they lack that self awareness. Oh no, I'm with another narcissist, not realizing that it has nothing to do with narcissism. It has, has more to do with lack of self-awareness. It's interesting. It's so funny. I've been both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't say avoidant really applies to me. I just think I have, I, I now like I've taken, like I've looked into it and uh, um, a lot of the results I get back say I have a secure attachment style, <laughs> but uh, when I am I, I find I, I was attracting a lot of people with that anxious attachment style, but I also exhibited those behaviors for a really mm-hmm. long time of attachment, anxious attachment style. And so I would find myself with people who are just mean. Yeah. And it was like exciting to try and get them. Mm-hmm. But then when you get them, they're still a mean person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up having so much relationship trauma and me owning that part of me choosing them is what helped me to stop making those decisions. Does yeah. that that fall into the accountability section? Yeah, yeah because uh, you're what you're doing is you're trying to find validation in someone else, right? You you want them to accept you so bad, but you know now once you become more self aware and you become you become more accepting of yourself, you don't need that from that other person, right? You would love for them to accept you, but if they don't. Right, you just uh, you just accept it. And you just decide to move on. Mm-hmm. You brought up the term narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I've noticed, particularly TikTok has majorly pop popularized narcissist yep. and gaslight. I hear all the yep. time, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's uh, someone just doesn't like how something's going, and they call them mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. how does someone tell the difference? We'll start with the term narcissist. Mm-hmm. How do people tell the difference between, I just feel rejected, my feelings are hurt, this person's a narcissist, or someone is legitimately a narcissist? We have to understand first and foremost that all relationships, even healthy ones, have their disagreements. So a lot of people don't, so there's a lot of people who don't know, who lack communication skills, both listening and speaking. Uh, they also lack, um, you know, self-awareness, kind of like what we talked about before. And we also have to understand that there's a lot of people who have unhealed trauma, regardless if we're talking about relationship trauma or childhood trauma, and trauma can show up like as narcissism. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Codependency can show up as narcissism as well. Mm. And so there's a lot of people who just don't quite get it, don't quite understand. Um, and they also don't understand how their behavior might be um, creating that that type of dynamic. Now, there's a lot of people who narcissism is it's kind of a fine line because narcissism is is more of a problem than what people give credit for. So there's a fine line where it's this big explosion on TikTok, but also it really is an actual problem. Mm-hmm. So a narcissist lacks empathy, right? There's a sense of entitlement. There is uh, so there's a lot of gaslighting, but a lot of the people, a lot of way, ways that I can tell if someone is with narcissist, it's actually not the narcissist, it's actually the victim, hmm. right? There, there's a complete, there, by a lot of times, by the time they get to me, there's a complete lack of, the, they're like a shell of themselves, hmm. right? There's a, there's typically a lot of physical symptoms, loss of hair, weight gain or weight loss. Um, you know, they, they, have trouble speaking up for themselves, trouble with setting boundaries and that sort of thing. Um, and, um, and so there's a lot of signs and symptoms that come from, uh, come from the victim. And here's, and the reason why is because uh, through that process of gaslighting, you, I actually don't even like the term gaslighting. I, I prefer the clinical term, which is crazy making that person. Wait, crazy making is the clinical term. Yep. They couldn't do better than that. <laughs> Well, the, the, the issue is that that is literally what that person's trying to do. They're yes. trying to make you feel like you're crazy. I right? feel like and that so, all the time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone and they are so sure of their version of events. And I literally have the evidence in front of them that that is mm-hmm. not the case, that I start to question my reality. Here's where, here's where it steps over from someone kind of positioning themselves as I'm right to them trying to make you feel, make you like... Uh, even with evidence, they might say like, uh, you're just mis- you're misremembering things. You're misinterpreting things, mm. right? And, and what the goal is, right? The, and gaslighting comes from people who are abusive, toxic, narcissistic, and controlling. They want you to like, let's, let's talk about how insidious it actually is. They will move your things. They'll hide your keys. Wow. They will. Yeah. They will hide your keys. They will hide your belongings. I was working with, 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 some, with someone. They hid one shoe, just one. For what purpose? Right? Because when you go to them and you say, have you seen my keys? What do they do? No, I haven't seen them. You never put your keys in the right spot. Oh, people do that? Yeah. Whoa. It's a big problem. Because that's very you, deliberate. You never, mm-hmm, it's very deliberate. You never put your keys in the right spot. So then let's roll that tape forward. Right? It doesn't stop there. Right now you're literally questioning yourself, right? And you think that there's something wrong, right? That I never put my things. I always, you start to literally like, man, am I losing my mind? I I always misplace things, right? And then what they do, they'll go to your friends. They'll go to your family. Like, Hey, can you check on so-and-so? Yeah. They, you know, can you check on my wife? Can you check on my husband? She's just been misplacing things. Just talk to her next time you see her, right? Just dropping seeds of doubt. And then guess what? You go to your mom, you go to your siblings. And what do they do? Hey, is everything all right? I just, yeah, just, I just heard that you keep missing place things, right? And so you begin to question yourself even more. Well, then you fast forward, right? We have to remember that this is coming from people that you're supposed to trust. This is coming from your husband or wife, yeah. mother, sister, boss, the people that you're, that are close to you that you're supposed to trust. Then, right? You, hey, you know what? Just give me your entire check. You know, you, I can't even trust you with keys, let alone with the money. Right. 
And so then you, before you know it, now we're talking about decades, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of this. And before you know it, you have literally given this person everything, Mm. right? They have all access to all of your passwords, all access to, so you have a complete loss of yourself, right? Complete loss of, of everything, your finances, and uh, they're controlling into a point where now it's, it's very, very difficult for you to leave. And even if you do leave, that's when they begin to wipe out your bank account. They begin a smear campaign. It gets really, really ugly. So how do you combat that? You're so deep in, you've got so much going on where you don't know up from down. Right. How do you, how do you dig yourself out of that hole? You 100% need other people, right? And that's a lot of what I do. Um, you you know, are that need, other person for them. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we help, we help. That's what I meant. Well, that's what I was talking about in the beginning. We put those pieces back together, right? That the things that for, because even a lot of therapists don't, don't actually know this. And so for, so think about that for a second. You go to a, you go to someone, you go to your friends and your family and you tell them, I think that my significant other is hiding my keys intentionally. Think about how crazy that sounds if you don't know what the hell gaslighting is. Because who does that? Right? You know, (laughs) I think that someone is hiding one shoe of mine, right? It sounds crazy until, and that's the reason why uh, a lot of the videos that that I do like begins to make sense and it becomes very validating to people. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was going crazy. And you see that in my comment section all the time. I thought it was just me, right? And then they, they start to put this pieces, these pieces back together. And eventually what happens is that they work themselves through that action stage, that, that uh, those stages of change. And um, I tell people that you don't get out of these relationships unscathed, right? You, you're going to lose some finances. You're going to lose some things. And you begin to kind of build a support system around you between your friends, your family, support groups, um, therapists, coaches. And eventually you, you develop an exit plan and you, you get a strategy, you get out. But then after you get out, guess what? There's a lot of healing to come that mm-hmm. comes from afterwards too. Because your reality is completely altered, so you have to mm-hmm. get back what is actually happening. Right. You have no idea. You have no idea up from down. Yeah. Uh, at this point, you you have to remember that in a in a narcissistic relationship, boundaries are there's no such thing as boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you begin. So you speak up for yourself. Right, there is hell, and even if it's not physically abusive, there's hell and there's consequences to pay. And so you get to a point where you just stay silent, just to try to not to not rock the boat and keep yourself safe. And uh, so through that process, afterwards, guess what? You actually have to go in the opposite direction to make sure when you begin to start dating and forget about dating, even with your friends and family. Like you have to begin to start speaking up for yourself. You have to begin to. Um, understand that boundaries are your filter between people who are healthy and unhealthy. And going back to what we were talking about in the beginning of not knowing the difference between someone who is toxic and someone who's healthy, the only way to be able to do that is to be able to start speaking up for yourself, setting boundaries, and you'll be able to tell the difference real quick. But we got to build up that muscle, so to speak, to a point where you're comfortable doing that again. Mm -hmm. So say somebody, it's before... They don't know, say it's early in the relationship mm-hmm. and you're starting to notice gaslight tendencies, narcissistic tendencies, um, but you don't know how to deal with those actions. Like you, you still have, 
you're not 20 years down. It's like you're a month into dating, you're seeing these behaviors. How how do you act towards these people to negate what they're trying to do to you? Number one, uh, you have to go through, you have to date slowly. A lot of times people, especially now, people move far too quickly. Within that first six to 12 months, a lot of times people are moved in together. They've already introduced kids. They've already like intertwined like bills and that sort of thing. You want to, there's nothing wrong with, with any of those things, with getting married, with moving in together, but we want to slow that process down mm-hmm. because that's what someone who's narcissistic is looking for. They're looking for that enmeshment, right? Because once they get you enmeshed and once they get like access, once they start getting access, it is, excuse me, it is very, very difficult to begin to unwind that. And it's also hard for you to kind of be the bad guy, to be the villain, yeah, you know, because people who, who struggle with codependency and people pleasing, they don't they already don't like being the bad guy. So we kind of want to slow that process down and really truly get to know this person to see how they handle certain things with conflict, with boundaries before we get everything all enmeshed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- so what's interesting is like you're speaking to a, a, a pre- another previous dating story I have where I met this girl. And it was like immediate like fireworks mm-hmm. and um, she had two kids and yep. she, uh, we ended up hooking up and I ended up falling asleep and yep. her kids were there mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, so do you need me to like sneak out or whatever? So that they're like, no, I'll just tell my kids you're like a friend. And I yeah. sat and had a pancake breakfast with her kids the yep. first time her and I hooked up. And I felt like a little bit of a twilight zone. And I was talking to my friend and I was like, I feel like she likes me too much for how much mm-hmm. she's known me. And my friend was like, you sound like a crazy person. Why is yeah. someone who likes you that much that early a bad thing? And what's, 100% inter- is. And what's yeah. interesting is mm-hmm. we were, for the first three months, it was so wonderful. She was so mm-hmm. attentive. And, and then it was literally one moment flipped a switch and she became this whole other abusive person to me. It was like, Mm -hmm. and that's actually what makes me hesitant with dating is I've had that experience multiple times where all of a sudden they become a different person. How do I stop that? It's not so much that you stop it. We have to allow, we, we set boundaries early. Here's, here's probably what happened. Right, is the, those first three months we you weren't setting a lot of boundaries. You were just kind of going with the flow, mm-hmm. and uh, then right. Typically, you're right. About three months in, might be the first time that you ever told her no, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, boom. Right, yeah. people who are toxic, narcissistic, don't like boundaries. It's literally like they're kryptonite. So I tell people we want to start setting boundaries early and often. Right. We want to go slow. We set boundaries early and often, and, and it will show its head real quick. Mm-hmm. Right? They will, they're, they're, they feel like they need to, going back to that sense of entitlement, they, they feel like they need to punish you for it. In the beginning, they might, it might be like them kind of like agitating you a, a bit like, well, I would come over, but you said no, because you, you apparently you have to go to the gym. Mm, passive aggressive is my favorite flavor. I love yeah, it. So they, so, <laughs> but, but if you think about it, someone who's healthy would actually appreciate you, you know, still taking care of yourself and going slow and that sort of thing. And so uh, you going slow, you setting boundaries early and often makes a world of a difference. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's something I've, I've, 
intertwined, you know, going back to uh, being, uh, being single and uh, somewhat of a dating coach. A lot of it's because, you know, it's not that I don't date. I, I'm actually enjoying dating a lot better because I go slow, mm-hmm. um, but I'm in no rush to, uh, to get heavily, heavily involved, not because I'm afraid of it, but because I just know, now know the process needs to go, needs to go very, very slow. Yeah. And there, and sometimes it's hard to find people who understand, who also get that. But if you think about it, you're looking for someone who is going to be a good fit when it comes to that level of emotional intelligence. Yeah. I, I basically said like, I didn't feel like she wanted me. I yep. felt like she wanted someone. Yep. So, I mean, I noticed a lot of people do that. They jump from relationship to relationship. Mm-hmm. What what in someone causes that? They they have deep rooted insecurities, unhealed trauma, and unhealed trauma and deep rooted insecurities show up in so many different ways. And typically, it show up in people trying to mask and trying to make it seem like everything's okay when it's really not. Right? They they want to. Uh, they feel the pressures of the societal norms of of being in a relationship. They think that if you know, a lot of times, guess what? If you're single, it forces you to actually have to address address those issues. And so, um, so instead, they'd much rather just meet someone else, um, pick up someone else, and uh, pretend like everything is perfectly fine when internally everything is not. And so, mm-hmm. um, meeting someone else helps them avoid. Uh, any responsibility of their own actual emotions. Mm-hmm. And you started to kind of talk about boundaries. And I feel like boundaries is a really, really important subject. Huge. What is a boundary? How do you set those boundaries? How do you enforce? I feel like the biggest part is enforcing those boundaries. It's one so thing to have them, but I yeah, see a lot of people not enforcing them. Your 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 audience is very similar to mine. So I'm going to highly, highly recommend that. I, I So two things. I have a um, bookstore recommendation on all of my links. So you can go through and there's several, several different books on boundaries. And uh, cause there's no way I could talk about all of it in one setting, but one of my favorite books when it comes to boundaries is um, called boundaries after a pathological relationship. So anyone who has been through a toxic relationship, I highly recommend that book. It's a very short book. If you listen to it on Audible, it's probably, I think it's right at an hour long, Mm -hmm. but it's a book that I've listened to multiple times because it's so articulate when it comes to boundaries. But one of the things that we have to understand about boundaries is that it's literally the core essence of who you are. Here's the reason why it's so important to begin to process not just our happy feelings, not just the ones that feel good, but literally all of our emotions because they, they are our, our guide. And they are, that's what tells us that, guess what? We need to set a boundary here. So I'm going to give you an example, right? So I'm going to pause. I'm going to put a bookmark where with boundaries. And um, if you don't mind me asking, what type of car do you drive? I drive a Mazda CX-30. So if you're Mazda CX-30, if the check engine light comes on, what do you need to do? Take it to the mechanic to get it looked at. Right. So you check it, you hook it up, right? You process that check engine light. If the gas light comes on, what do you need to do? Get gas. Go to gas station. You need to get gas. What happens if you don't do either one of those things? It stops working. Right. It stops working. Same thing with our emotions. If Mm. we're pissed off at someone, right? Here's the problem. A lot of people, because there's so much pressure to be happy all the time because of social media, just mm-hmm. smile, right? And act like nothing's happening. Because of all this pressure, we just act like we're not angry, right? 
And then all of a sudden it show it still creeps out, it creeps out in either aggression or passive aggressiveness. But the real issue is that you're not talking about what's actually going on. You're not actually addressing the real issue. You're not setting the appropriate boundary. The real issue is that someone pissed you off about something. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's say that, let's say that um, the person that you're seeing, right, was late, was extremely late, very inconsiderate, not to a point where you need to break up with them. But let's let's roll that tape forward. You act like everything's fine. You don't speak up. What happens next time they do it? Right? Yeah, they they're going to continue. Know. They don't know it's an issue, so they're going to continue. Exactly. To do it. And so we haven't set a boundary. They're going to continue to do it, and then that shows up as resentment. Resentment is one of the number one killers of relationships. And then guess what? You just end up popping. You're always late all the fucking time. You don't ever appreciate me. And the person's like, wait a minute. When was this an issue? Because the connection it's been an issue for the last 10 years. The connection right? is never, within themselves. Right. Yeah. And so boundaries are the core. So when we have a feeling, when we have an emotion, am I saying that you have to react angry? No, but we do need to process it. Understand like, what am I angry about? I'm angry. This person was late, was 30 minutes late. It's happening too frequently. And I like to be prompt. You know, we couldn't get the seats that we were going to get. Right. So you process that. Right then, you talk to them appropriately, um, because and that's how we solve a good portion of the issues. And then, of course, on the other end, the person has to be able to receive that well too. So, say somebody is perpe- some people. It's like a badge of pride to be perpetually late to things. Like I'm just mm-hmm. late, and people deal with it. Yep. But it's something that majorly bothers you. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, this is just who I am and you have to yep. deal with that. How do you respond to that person? Because in my, from my perspective, it sounds like they're saying, I am who I am and I don't care about your needs, but I also know I'm a sensitive person. So maybe I am in personalizing it a bit. So I'm curious your perspective on that. It, it, re- it really depends, right? So, we, so before we get into relationships, we have to know our negotiables and our non-negotiables, mm-hmm. right? Things that, and if we don't, and if we don't articulate those to people who we're getting involved with early and often, what happens is that when we're in that situation, our non-negotiables are going to feel like deal breakers and our deal breakers are going to feel like non-negotiables. That's what, that's how people who are in, ter- in horrific relationships try to negotiate through it. And also how people who deal with something that could be worked through are like, I'm fucking done with this. Right. And so we need to kind of, kind of assess before we get involved with someone like that, our, uh, our negotiables and our deal breakers. But then also, I, I think that something like that, where someone is, I think there's, there's two different things that come through my mind. Someone who's absolutely refusing to even meet in the middle, right? Let's say this, this, this is an issue because they are, um, because they struggle with ADHD. And so they know, right, this is where the self-awareness comes in, right? They should be able to articulate to people, like, listen, um, I can do my best, right, to be on time, but I'm going to be late sometimes because, uh, because this, is a, this is an area of weakness for me. Mm-hmm. When I meet someone, one of the first things I tell them, I'm a terrible texter. Right. I tell them straight up. I could personally attest to that. (laughs) I tell them straight up. I'm a terrible texter and I tell them it's not intentional. I give them permission. I I tell them if you if you feel the need to text me twice, do it. Right. Don't Mm -hmm. feel like this. You know, don't play the game like let me see if he's interested. Right. And I will take the responsibility of telling you if I'm not interested. 
right? Because, um, and I tell them like, it, it's, it really is a struggle. It's not, has nothing to do with uh, whatever. And so you, you ultimately want, because I've, if someone is like, I'm just late and you get, you have to deal with it. That behavior is probably creeping out in other, other areas too, mm-hmm. where they're not compromising in other areas, but people who want to meet you in the middle will say things like, you know, this will, should be able to say like, yeah, it's kind of an issue. Like I'm going to do my best. Right. But, um, but I'm a little bit unorganized and here's how you can help. They should be able to articulate how you can help and what areas you can help and what the, what areas that they are taking responsibility to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's actually a slight trigger for me because I love being on time and I yeah. like being responsive. And mm-hmm. so when someone isn't doing that, it does feel like, it does feel like a rejection in a way or yeah. that they don't value me. Mm-hmm. Um, how does someone differentiate between the fact between this person is rejecting me, this person doesn't value me, and this is just an aspect of this person's personality? Well, I think that they kind of all go hand in hand where, um, you know, it's, <clears throat> we have to, this is where it becomes important to really truly get to know that person, hmm. right? To understand, um, you know, you can even actually, you should like, this is the reason, this is also the reason why vulnerability is so important in relationships to literally just ask that person, like, you know, when you were late today, I felt very rejected, right? These are the, this is how it was interpreted to me, right? And allow for that person, that person should be able to articulate like, yeah, I was pissed off. I didn't want, I really didn't want to come. And that's the reason why I was late or, you know, I was running late for work. Like, I do love you. I didn't, you know, I didn't intend for you to feel that way. That was, that wasn't my intention. It was just an honest mistake. Right. And find, and try to find where the, where that compromise actually is. Um, and so some of that comes down to communication. Some of that comes down to self-soothing. And also that comes down to, I tell people, you want to be as proactive as you possibly can about your disagreements and about things that are kind of those triggers for you, right? Early, before the, before they're actually late, you want to, you want to acknowledge to people, it's a trigger for me when, um, when, uh, when people are late, right. I get really upset by that, but we also have to understand that if we're going to have a healthy relationship, we need to allow for space for people to make mistakes. We have to allow for, um, space for people's trauma, for people's insecurities. That's kind of the benefit of being in a relationship. And so, when we're proactive about those conversations, it makes it makes the relationship ten times better. But what if it's someone who doesn't understand that what they are, how they are reacting, is a trauma response or something internally that they need to work on? If they don't, if the yeah, person, like if the perpetrator if, does, is not understanding, yeah, like if if I'm saying like, hey, like what you're doing here is, is hurting me, and the reason they're doing it is based in trauma, and their response is usually combative if they don't have that knowledge because it feels like an attack. But really, when I, like when I have those conversations, it is an attempt to keep the relationship because mm-hmm. I want to communicate. Like, how do you, the, do you just walk away? Like, how do you know the difference between this is something we can work on and I need to walk away? Some, sometimes uh, there, there are some disagreements that you're not always going to come up with a resolution immediately. Mm-hmm. Right, and you can also look at other other disagreements that you may have had. Not one of the questions I typically ask people is that look at all of the disagreements that you guys have had. Right, have you guys been able to meet in the middle on some of them? Have you have you, have you won some of the disagreements? 
or is it that everything is always heading into that that person's direction? Typically, you'll see a, a certain type of pattern. The other thing that I tell people is to be proactive, not just proactive about uh, those disagreements, right? But uh, be proactive about certain types of, com- of conversations of um, having certain levels of maintenance when it comes to your disagreements. So I tell people, like, if you're with someone every Sunday or whenever you guys are sitting around hanging out, right? Ask each other, like, how have I been as a boyfriend or a girlfriend this week, right? On a scale from one to 10, right? And they, let's say they say a seven and you ask them, right? And now, even though they may have done something to you, this is you asking them and you tell them like, you know, um, well, you were, uh, you, you allow for them to speak up. Well, naturally people who have levels of empathy will ask, well, how have I been as a boyfriend or girlfriend this week? Right. And now we have an opportunity to have open dialogue Mm -hmm. because quite often, quite often when we're in the heat of the moment, when emotions are escalated, neither one, neither person is listening. Mm -hmm. Right. And so sometimes we need to give both of both people a bit of a timeout, allow for those emotions to come down, allow for people to process and then come back to the table and try to see what, see what type of, what they can kind of work through because when people, when both people are kind of positioning themselves as I'm right in this situation, it makes it very, very difficult. Yeah. I'm finding that a lot of people don't take that beat to kind of allow their emotions to subside to a point where you can have a productive conversation. Like whenever I'm trying to speak logic and someone else is having an emotional reaction, it's that we might as well be speaking like Spanish and Mandarin. Like it feels like you're never going to, uh, get through because you guys are in two different worlds, but telling someone that they need to calm down also doesn't work. No. So how no. do you, like, how, what are some things that someone could say to somebody if they are in an emotional state, but still want to have that conversation, but also want to respect the fact that that person is having an emotional reaction to not actually escalate that emotional reaction with phrases See, like calm down. Yeah. No one is telling tell people to calm down. You don't want to tell people, you don't want to tell people about them. You just, you, you can simply just say, uh, you can, you can take ownership there and say like, you know, Hey, I don't want to say something that I don't mean, you know, can we pick this conversation back up in an hour? Can we pick this pet conversation back up tomorrow? Can we pick it? But this is the reason why the being proactive about how the rules of engagement of how you're going to handle disagreements become so important because some people also interpret that as rejection too. Yeah. And so if, so it is vital for you to have, for you to have rules of engagement when both people are in a non-emotional state, if you wait until you have a heated argument to try to figure those, those things out, it gets really ugly, really quick. And so, but, uh, but, when you're having those conversations and you give yourself an opportunity and one person might say like, you know, uh, I would like to talk, you know, whenever we give each other a timeout, I'm going to want to talk like in an hour because I'm going to feel uh, like you're walking away from me and that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's important for both people to feel heard for both people to feel understood and for both people to um, acknowledge that there's some emotion there that uh, in those heated moments that, uh, that they lose it a little bit, right? That they're now in in that trauma, in those insecurities, right? And and no one wins in that situation, even if one person is calm. 
So what? So what? What do you do when someone you say I need an hour to go calm down, and they say no? Uh, in those situations, I would tell I would allow for the person who says no to vent, let them talk, right? Let them get everything out as they possibly can, right? It might take them thirty minutes to 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 vent, right? But you have to understand that they're not going to hear you in that situation. Let them talk. Let them vent. Summarize what they what they said back to what they uh, summarize what you what they said to you, but understand that in that current state, they're not going to there. That's not a place where you can get a resolution from, right? So let them vent, and then after they vent, like, hey, you know what? I, I heard you. Like after you've summarized to them, I heard you. You know, uh, now I would repeat right that request. Mm-hmm. I heard you. Right. I let you vent. Right. That, you know, I want to take everything. And I, I would, I want to take everything that you said serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Let me, let me take, take what you said serious. Let me process some of the things that you said. Let's, let's, uh, let's meet in 30 minutes. Let's meet in an hour. Right. And, uh, and typically in a healthy, with a healthier person, right. A non-narcissistic person, right. They're going to honor that because they know that they've been heard quite often people who don't want that space, either anxious attachment style, or sometimes they just don't feel like they've been heard. They don't feel like they've been understood. Right. And so a lot of times giving, giving a little bit, right. You'll get a little bit in that situation too. Mm -hmm. So what if they're venting and, you know, you're talking about kind of like uh, repeating back to them, like the, the, what they've been heard and they feel like you're just placating them, that you're not actually listening. You're just sitting there and listening to them speak and, and they want your perspective, but you're not in a place where you can do that yet. Do you just say that? Like it's, I would say that. Yeah. I would, I would, I would say like, listen, we're not really, you know, I want to work through this, but it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere with this. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I would come back with, uh, you know, um, you know, can we, can, so we don't, so neither one of us says something that we don't mean. Can we meet in an hour after both of us are, have calmed down a bit? And you might even get the response like, I am calm, right? Well, I'm not, right? Mm-hmm. Burdensome, burden, burdensome responsibility. Like I'm not, right? Uh, I, and, and you can tell them like, I love you. I want to work through this. But right, right now, the way that we're talking to each other, it's not happening. Right? Yeah. And uh, and so one of the things that about disagreements is that it, it, going back to what we talked about with responsibility, it takes a lot of work, right? It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of patience. And sometimes there's one person in that situation that might be more patient than the other. So you have to take, so you have to be okay with taking that lead for the moment, mm-hmm. right? And that's, and sometimes it does get so heated where you might have to end the conversation and uh, use, if you, I will statements, if you continue to yell, if you continue to do this, I'm going to have to end this conversation. Mm. Right. And at some point in time, we have to get to that point of, uh, of actually enforcing the boundary. That's very difficult to do it, You know, the person might still be upset or whatever, but you've at that point, you've done everything you possibly could, right. Mm. You've communicated well, you've listened to them, you've summarized. Right. And so even though especially if you struggle with codependency or people pleasing, you might feel guilty about it, but that's the appropriate response. Yeah. So, I mean, we're both on, we're both on the social medias and, and in TikTok particular, I have noticed this and I don't know if it's escalated or I just tuned in more to it, but there is a, just a finger point and gender war at all points mm-hmm. in time. 
And what I'm witnessing is two separate groups of people almost exhibiting the exact same behavior in different ways. Mm-hmm. What do you think some of the commonalities in behaviors between both groups that they're pointing the finger, like why are they pointing the finger at each other all the time? What is the behavior that is causing men and women not to be able to hear each other at all? It is everyone always wants the other person to change, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we can we can look at that on a micro level um, with two individuals or on a macro level with the the war between the sexes. Everyone always wants to point the fingers to get someone else to change because everyone wants everything to be easy. We want relationships to be easy. It is much easier if we can get the world around us to change than it is to change ourselves. And when typically when other people are trying to get when anyone macro or micro are trying to get other people to change their, you're typically avoiding change yourself. So we have a war of the sexes where both want to point fingers. Neither neither parties want to acknowledge any change that they need to make themselves mm. because that's too difficult. Mm. That means that I have to actually look at some of my deep-rooted fears, my deep-rooted trauma, my deep-rooted... I have to actually acknowledge where I'm wrong. I have to give up some control. I have to give up some power. Right? I have to acknowledge that that person was actually right about something. And there's a fear that if I acknowledge that I'm that that other person was right or that I'm wrong in a scenario, then that person won, right? Because people who struggle with unhealed trauma, there's a lot of competitiveness there, mm-hmm. right? That I have to win, I have to do this, I have to do that because you're you're posturing, right? You want to be right all the time, you want to do this, you want to do that because you're covering up, you're trying to mask those insecurities only to find out that they're still coming up right you're they're still they're still causing you issues you're you're but your lack of your lack of awareness is preventing you from seeing that mm-hmm. so how does someone get out of that mindset to a point so cuz ultimately like a lot of the people who are finger pointing at the other one also want to be with someone from the other side of the aisle so yeah. how do they how, how do they get to the point where they can get past that to have a successful relationship they have to break it they have to get out of that they have to stop listening to that i i can't speak for you but i might listen to it because i'm in that you know i have to be able to speak to it whenever Mm -hmm. you know but outside of like kind of doing my research and kind of you know keeping my hand finger on the pulse uh, i only surround myself with uh people like yourself who who don't engage in that that type of behavior? Who who don't think negatively of women or men or and and take their mental and emotional health serious, right? One of the things that happens is that you that people, it's a uh, it's very black and white thinking where you think that this is how all people, all men or all women are. That's actually just not true. So you have to break away from that. You have to be you have to go down and start a healing journey, right? Begin to um, begin to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is that it's like your blinders are going to start coming off and you're going to be able to see people who are healed, people who are healthy, people who are whole. And you're in that type of behavior. You're just not going to be able to tolerate. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, um, you spending time, significant time with people who have that type of mindset. Um, it just, uh, you just won't, you just won't want to, won't want to deal with it. 
Yeah. And, and we've talked about this, me and you privately before where, um, um, I, I, maybe I would, I wouldn't appreciate how someone generalized me or was treating me. And the response is, I don't know who's bad or good. So yep. I'm going to treat you all as bad. Yeah. How, how do you even respond to that? Because, you know, I'm not responsible for their actions, but I all the actions of the people who hurt them rather, mm -hmm. but I do have sensitivity to the fact that they are struggling. Mm -hmm. But I also want to set that boundary. Like you don't get to treat me that way, just based on the fact that someone else hurt you. How do you navigate that attitude? Like, what is that? Uh, if you're talking about like just random people, like trolls and things like that, uh, I just, you know, I just, these aren't trolls. People. No, these aren't trolls. These oh, are people who okay. actually feel that way. Like people who are close to you? Uh, the, some Not close, because I don't allow that attitude close to me anymore. But mm -hmm. a lot of it is reactions from people within my audience. Um, mm -hmm. They're like, I don't know who's a good man, who's a bad man. So I'm going to assume you're all bad because I want to protect myself. And I feel that, the but it's also, I, it also, uh, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, I don't enjoy it. And at the same time, we, uh, you have to get to a place of acceptance of that. They're just not at that point yet. Yeah. Right. We, we have to let go. I mean, I, uh, as much work as I do towards that and um, going back to what I was talking about with the stages of change, we'll just have to accept the fact that that's just kind of where they're at in their journey, that they think that, that all men are bad or all women are bad. Right. And uh, you know, if they, continue to work with me or they continue to listen, right? It might show them that, that there's differences, right? But we have to allow for them to, to see it themselves because mm. here's the problem. If we force someone to see it because it wasn't on their own volition, mm. what happens is that it leads to resentment down the road because guess what? If you force them to do, or if I force them to look, look at it like that and I say, oh no, not all men are bad, right? And then they meet someone who was bad. And they didn't actually do the work and they didn't actually read the books or go to therapy or whatever, whatever it is that they need to do for their journey. And then they have another bad experience. See, I fucking told you, Chris, I told right. you, I told you, Matt, right. Fuck you and fuck all men. Right. And so, uh, so instead we just have to accept that that's where they're at, you know, and be patient with people and allow for people to kind of, uh, come to those terms on their own. And sometimes some people will circle around and say, you know what? Uh, I, you know, I, I've been listening to you or I've, I've read this and I realized that that was kind of an old wound and, and I'm making some changes. Sometimes they never do. Yeah. It seems like it just, and, and that's something I've actually worked on quite a bit is like not personalizing, like this isn't really having anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. And I also don't feel like I need to prove that to somebody. Yeah. yeah. So just accepting someone where they are or not accepting them and walking away. That's, that's yep. also an option. It's just tough because I care about yeah. people, but I also don't want to be, I, I, I find myself um, when I go through the app and I constantly, cause I exist in the feminist space. I do make a lot of yep. content advocating for women. So I see a lot of their content and like every single day hearing that what I am mm -hmm. is the worst thing. It starts to, weigh on me after a yep. while it just really starts to affect my mental and usually the response is well if it doesn't apply to you then why are you having this reaction um and i'm curious what you think about about that because i i understand the logic behind it i really do and i am having 
an emotional reaction to it that I don't want to have anymore. But when I constantly hear what I am is the worst thing, it it hurts. And I also think about young men who hear that all the Mm -hmm. time. And then they develop, like, it feels like a self-loathing after a while. Like what you are Mm -hmm. is horrible. Right. And, and, you know, the reason why we don't like hearing, no one likes hearing that like all men are bad when you know all of the good things that you do, you may understand that you're flawed. Um, no, no woman likes hearing that. No person likes hearing that. No, no culture likes hearing that everyone who is this subset of culture, right. Uh, behaves in this, in this way, right. It's, it's stereotyping. Yeah. No one likes feeling like they're, they've been stereotyped or when someone hasn't genuinely gotten to know them. And at the same time, we have to allow for people to go through their process. One, one of the things that I've had to learn um, through my healing journey, because I, I, I was a lot like you at one point in time where I wanted to fix every single person, you trying to fix everyone, even if you did that successfully, really, you're only only stunting them, right? They have to do it, right? They, the same way that you did your journey, you went through your journey, the same way that I went through my journey, right? They have to be the ones to do it because they're the only ones who know how they feel. They know, they know why they feel that way. And they have to look at those vulnerabilities and that, that insecurity, and they actually have to deal with it and actually have to talk to whoever or find the resources necessary because we're not in their head. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm a sensitive person. That's something I just know about myself. And I kind of, sometimes I wish I could turn that part of my brain off, but that's really not an option. What? So what is that within me? What is that need to, uh, what is it called? To like where I need to explain or, or, or help someone through that, see someone else's perspective. Uh, sounds like rescuer, where you feel like you need to rescue people. Right, where you want, where ultimately you feel like you'll be accepted and that validation um, will, you know, that um, there's typically some sort of validation. You want someone to say like, you know what, you were right, you were this, you were that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, or even like, thank you, right, for showing me, thank you for, um, and so um, you want this achievement, right? But the problem is, is that, that meant that might not ever come. And mm-hmm. so we have to be okay with people not being okay. Right. Mm-hmm. We have to find, we have to find like a, a way to, cause I, I used to be that way. And, and so now the only thing I can do is, is be the best version of myself and know that I may, that I have provided the best version of myself and find that except one of my issues was, um, was wanting people to be proud of me. Right, mm. I struggled with that. Where does that mightily. come from? Oh, deep, uh, definitely childhood for yeah. me. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, so I desperately, desperately wanted people to be proud of me, and so I would over overwork myself, waiting for people to be proud of me. Right, not realizing that me over exuding myself, I was doing that towards people who didn't want that, didn't want that work, didn't want that affection, who weren't quote unquote deserving of it. And I mean, deserving meaning like they, they didn't want, they didn't ask for the help. They didn't ask for me to rescue them. Right. They weren't. Uh, and so now uh, I understand that when I'm doing work, when I'm doing certain things, right. It's a gift. Right. And so I, so 
there's only certain people that I will allow for that side of me, people who do appreciate it, right? And I have to appreciate it myself first, right? And then now I can pour that into other people and, and allow for, the, for, I don't have to have every person a proud of me the way that I used to, mm. right? I only need like a handful of people and that's perfectly fine. Mm. So, okay. Last question. Um, you, you talk about your personal healing journey, right? Where you are mm -hmm. now versus where you started. With yeah. the knowledge that you have now, you look back at pre-healing you. What, what do you say to that person? Like, what do you say to help guide them down the right path with the knowledge that you have after your healing? To myself or to someone who was in that position? To yourself, specifically. So uh, I actually, this is kind of a part of my process that I, that I go through uh, for my continued journey is um, like telling myself certain, you know, because um, you're always going to kind of healing is this weird thing. You're, you, it's not this destination. It's a, it's a constant journey. And so um, I consistently tell myself, uh, you know, you're, you're enough, right? Yeah. I'm, I'll tell myself that I'm proud of you. Like, look at all the things, look at, you know, I remind myself, I, I do a lot of journaling. I just yesterday, I looked back at, uh, looked back at a journal that I have and was like, man, I cannot believe that that was just three years ago. It felt like it was, you know, seven years ago or 10 years ago. Right. And so, uh, instead of waiting for that external factor of someone saying like, look at all the things that you've done. I now provide that to myself. Mm -hmm. And I talk to myself the same way that I would talk to, uh, talk to you or talk to, uh, talk to, um, my son or anyone, right. If, if they were going through something and if they had, if they look back at their journal and they said, Hey, dad, Hey, Matt, look at all the things that I've done in the last several years. I, without question, would tell that person like, man, that is amazing that I'm, I'm very proud of you, right? Look at, you know, believe that you did that by yourself or, you know, I didn't know that you knew so-and-so or whatever that it took for them to get out of that situation. And so now looking back, those are the things that I, that I tell myself because the reason why I was in that position to begin with was because I was listening too much to people's criticism. You can't do this. What the hell are you? Are you illiterate? You're not man enough. You're not this. You're not that. And so those were the voices for a long period of time that uh, that haunted me, right? That would uh, that would just be kind of this ghost that was just kind of holding back and and would create the fear of not pursuing the things that I knew that I knew that I wanted to do because I didn't want to disappoint people. Well, the thing about it is that. The people who I was trying to prove myself to, the people who I wanted them to be proud of me, they were already disappointed in me, mm. right? If you think about it, right? I was already not accepted. So me pursuing and me accomplishing the things that I wanted to do and, and them not accepting it, there's no difference. I the only difference now is that I'm now excited about who I am as a person. And now I also have people along with me right? That are providing that validation because we do need validation from other people. Yes. It just may not come from the people that we are expecting it from. Yeah. I feel like we want That's the, the validation. We, it's kind of yeah. like that mean girl syndrome. We want the mm -hmm. validation from the people who won't give it to us. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's almost and, like and the, the, where, the people who do give it to us, we don't value it as much because it came easier. Or and if you think about it, yeah. If you think about it, that's exactly how we were treated. Mm. Yeah. Right? So we need to value and appreciate the people who are giving it to us. And that makes the dating scene a lot different too. 
How right? so? The ones who, because think about it for a second. You're chasing after people who are not providing the validation or not reciprocating uh, the kindness, those sorts of things, because you want their approval. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people who are who will give you their approval. The problem in a lot of situations is that the chemistry wasn't at a level 10. Hmm. Well, we have to ask why that chemistry was so high. A lot of times with people who have been through a cycle of uh, toxic relationships had a history of looking for that validation from someone. And so that's the norm to like need that validation. Well, when we feel that chemistry, we feel that that's like we're, that's our comfort zone. So we need to kind of, if we've had a history of toxic relationships, we kind of need that chemistry not be at a level 10, but be more at like a level six or seven where we're still attracted to that person, right? And all at the same time, we are able to keep things in perspective and uh, and not consistently chase and not consistently, uh, I shouldn't say chase. I hate it when people are like, don't chase them, you know, but more of like not search for that validation that we're craving. Yeah, I, I recently grasped the fact that maybe if I feel like I've known someone for forever and they give me butterflies, that it actually could be a warning rather than right. something to embrace. 100% true. Yeah. Why is that? Because we, we, uh, we mirror our adult relationships after childhood. Hmm. And so if we've had childhood trauma, if we've had um, either a bad upbringing or that when I say bad upbringing, you could have had great parents, but you could have had, you know, some rough times at school or bullied and you were looking for validation there. You weren't accepted at school, whatever the case is. And so um, we will mimic a lot of those relationships uh, in adulthood. And so when we feel that that butterfly and that, the, that chemistry, typically it reminds us of uh, what we were going through. And so we begin to recreate that same trauma uh, as an adult. Yeah. Wow. Well, this was enlightening. Um, uh, if people are people are looking to uh, get more information from you in depth, what's the best place for them to contact you? I would say on TikTok or uh, on TikTok or YouTube, um, and go to the link in my bio. And it's all Matt Pfeiffer. M A T T P H I F E R Coaching. Yep, Matt that, Pfeiffer Coaching. You can Google it. I'm pretty. I'm on all major, all major, uh, all major platforms, mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, but those are probably. I think that my links are actually more updated than my website at this point. So okay. you can all you can always go to my website, um, mattpfeiffercoaching.com. But if you're looking for a one-on-one session, I don't think that it's. I, I went six months without doing one-on-ones because I was overly booked. But I'm available now. So great. You down to take some questions that people have sent me throughout the course? Yeah, yeah you have time. Okay, I have um, about I have about twenty minutes. Okay, so if you uh, make sure you give him a follow, uh, if you are interested in asking our guests questions live, make sure you tune in twitch.tv slash sup daily. And thanks for being on Unfiltered Friends. Thank you, Matt, for being on Unfiltered Friends. Make sure you go give him a follow, and if you enjoyed this, make sure you give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you use. See you next week.